Flyers AD, here it is, uh, Wednesday, October 11, 2023. Don't know my glasses, I cannot see the damn date on this computer, but it is the night before puck drop for the Philadelphia Flyers. They open their season tomorrow night against some team somewhere. Again, don't my glasses, hold on. <laughs> Columbus, they start tomorrow in Columbus. What an exciting team to open the season against. Two of the bottom teams in the Metro come together to play some hockey and do whatever it is they do. And uh, Anthony's back, and as we were talking here before he went on, uh, quite a bit of positives and quite a bit of uh, head-scratching negatives heading into the uh, season here. Yeah, no, it's uh, definitely a bit of column A, bit of column B. I do think for the most part is mostly positive. Like for me, like I have some things to nitpick as well. But at least whether you agree with a lot of the decisions on a minor scale or not, or individually, at least for the most part, it does for once have a concrete direction that I think most people are on board with. Their uh, spoken word has been lovely. Their actions leave a little to be desired through uh, you know their, their usage and players and whatnot. But, you know, the opening night lineup, as of right now... Uh, you know, they've run the same lines of practice the last few days, so it's assumed that this is what it's going to be. It's going to be uh, Farabee, Couturier, Brink on the top line, Tippett, Frost, Atkinson on the second, Lawton, Cates, Konechny on the third, Delorier, Paling Hathaway on the fourth, with a defense of York and Sanheim, Stahl and Walker, and Zamula and Sealer with Andre and Ristolainen as your uh, extras there, Risto is on IR to start the season. He's apparently fine, but I don't know if he made the trip or not. Tortorella was uh, not confirming one or the other whether he was even going to make the trip to Columbus first. So we don't know if he's there at this point or not, but uh, that's your opening lineup right there. And, uh, you know, some kids made it. Some bafflingly did not. But, uh, you know, when you have a roster that was constructed specifically to not play your kids, this is, uh, this is what you get, right? Yeah, I mean, I think up front... Nobody could really complain. I mean, obviously, there's the Wade Allison thing, but at this point, is he a kid? I mean, given the depth at right wing throughout the organization, like Brink and Forster, to say nothing of Tippett, who moved to the left side, Travis Konechny, obviously a few vets as well. I Like, I personally like Wade Allison, but he isn't really someone who's going to make or break their future, as unfortunate it is to say. Defense is very perplexing in a lot of ways. Uh, every time I've seen their defense, every single day it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It's like, how can we find the worst possible accommodations to put together? That's what we're going to do. Well, like on one hand, it's nice to see that York is essentially going to be their number one. I think that's uh, pretty much set in stone. Looks like Zamula will be a regular, hopefully. Then you have the thing of Andre, where like I've had some people say that he probably should have started in the AHL because they still want him to work out some kinks. At the same time, is he better to start in the AHL as their number one or on their third pair replacing a sealer? Obviously, there has to be another decision made. 
whether or not they end up waving Sandstrom. Do they send Andre down once Ristolainen comes off of IR? So the forwards, I don't think many people can complain or will complain, except maybe a small nitpick here, nitpick here and there, myself included, for like specifically about Wade Allison. But on the defense, I mean, it was going to kind of be a focal point all year in terms of developing these kids. But I mean, as long as York and Simula play consistently, because I've heard mixed reviews about where Andre's development is at, I guess you can't really complain as long as York is your number one and Zamula is somewhere in the mix as like your four or five. Andre is uh, an interesting character in all this because I think pound for pound, he's your most talented defenseman right now. His highs are higher than anybody else can offer in this current group. But he only has 13 games of North experience, uh, North American experience under his belt played 10 in the regular season and three with the Phantoms in the playoffs last year and, you know, the handful of preseason games. And, you know, he's been turnstiled a couple times up there. And I guess the question becomes, do you want him to get a little bit more seasoning in the AHL or do you kind of roll with the punches, let him make his mistakes and hope he can shake it off in the NHL? But then you've got John Tortorella in charge here, and he's not going to tolerate these mistakes by the kids. We saw this with Zamula last season. Even made, York. Made the, uh, made the roster to start the year, got turned out a couple times, was scratched forever before ultimately being sent down. York didn't even make the opening night roster. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I would assume this guy at some point ends up back in uh, ends up back in Lehigh. And as you noted, whether it's uh, they wave Sonstrom or demote Andre, who is, uh, who is waiver exempt, you know. One of those two decisions I've to made in the next few days, especially versus the line in is healthy and we'll be back here, uh, you know, but by game two or three. And it is kind of funny on one thing, and we've talked about this before, that a lot of people like they want kids to play and prioritize, but only the kids that they deem are worthy of it. Yeah. And like Sandstrom, he's not really a kid anymore. He's what, 26, 26 years old, maybe. Yeah. And, like, he's not a kid. We kind of see the writing on the wall with him going forward. At the end of the day, what is he a decent backup? But what I do actually like, and I've heard this from people in the organization, is that they really do like Felix Sandstrom. And as I think they should. As they should. And it's just an unfortunate situation where Ursan's better. That's just what it is. But that doesn't mean that Felix Sandstrom is, you know, a gas can. I think Felix Sandstrom would be a good backup on a lot of teams, which is why they've avoided putting him on waivers. It's just a rarity or what we've been accustomed to nowadays is that the Flyers are deep at goaltending. But I do think that having Felix Sandstrom definitely as your third is a much better option than Cal Peterson. Oh, Cal sure. Peterson doesn't inspire me at all. And if you have a situation where eventually Carter Hart isn't here anymore, you know, Urson Sandstrom as a pairing going forward, I think that's a very good tandem. So I, I, I don't know why people just don't value Felix Sandstrom as much as they do. Uh, I know people in that organization have even told me, like, you know, hold off on, like, telling, like, putting it out there that he's maybe going to be waived because, like, we don't want Felix to feel bad. And, like, they've really done everything to keep him around. And to be honest, I know it's a very minuscule thing, but it's actually given me confidence. Like, wow, they value what Felix Sandstrom brings, even if it is just at the very high, at the very most, a decent backup goalie. Yeah, I mean, I I really liked what Sonstrom brought in Lehigh. I thought he was fine in the NHL last year, all things considered. Like, mechanically, as a goaltender, I like what he brings to the table. And I think 
just because he got, he got, yeah, sure. He's very good at what he does. It's just, I think he got fed to the wolves on a very shitty team last year, right? When you have Hart and Urson who are playing just out of their minds good and struggle in this environment versus Sandstrom, who's a good, competent NHL caliber goaltender, but may not be bordering on that elite level like the other two, you know, you just kind of see the difference of playing behind a team like this. But, you know, I, I think if you plopped him on Tampa right now, he'd probably be fine. You know, he's probably not going to be perfect. He's obviously no pound-for-pound replacement with Vasilevsky. But all things considered, you know, it would be a decent option for that role. Now, there is the whole, why the fuck are we carrying three goaltenders in the first place kind of thing. If they're this scared of losing Sonstrom, if they want to let him play, then just send Urson down. He's waiver-exempt. I I think at this point, Urson playing, you know, two or three times a week in Lehigh would be far more valuable than two or three times a month with the Flyers, especially if they're going to let Sandstrom give in uh, some minutes here as well. So, I mean, what what's what's the ultimate plan here? Are they just... Uh, who wins this backup battle? Is it Urson or Sandstrom? I think it's Urson. And the one thing I will say to defend the Flyers is that they're one of five teams that are carrying three goalies to start the year. And I think that throughout the NHL, and we, I think we saw over 100 goalies play in the NHL last year. Like... There is a case to be made that you should be able to carry three goalies. You know, like the the third one, if under, let's say, a million dollars, for example, you could stash and not count against the cap. Because I do think it's kind of goofy how many fringe NHL goalies get claimed on waivers like 15 times a season. Like how many times did we see like Eric Comrie bounce around or last year, I believe it Magnus was Magnus Helberg. Like, I mean, with the hard miles that get put on goaltenders nowadays, you pretty much have to be three goaltenders deep. And I don't think you should always have to risk losing someone on the waiver wire because, you know, Colorado or Tampa might claim him for a month or two while they're battling injuries and then he'll go right back. It's not even fair for the goalies. So ultimately, I do believe Urson is your backup. And I think ultimately we do see Sandstrom hit the waiver wire. Maybe they feel like if they could bide enough time, you know, Jonas Johansson had a good showing with Tampa Bay last night, so maybe Tampa doesn't elect to claim a Sandstrom. I think that's the ultimate end goal here because I do think John Tortorella, he's echoed merit a lot. And let's be real, I like Sandstrom, you like Sandstrom, but unfortunately, Urson is the better goalie and he's proven such in training camp to this point that I think he will win that job and he will, he is the guy who's going to be here in the long term. you know, his contract extension being indicative of that. It's just unfortunate because, you know, hearts battled injuries in the past. You have the hockey Canada stuff looming, although maybe that seems like it's just going to go by the wayside. Nothing's going to happen at this point. Who knows? And then does Hart end up getting traded? We know that Danny Breer explored that, that possibility this summer. So, like, there is a lot of good reasoning to keep Felix Sandstrom around based on what's the future of Carter Hart in Philadelphia. And, you know, next season, if you went in with an Urson-Sandstrom pairing, I mean, or tandem, that'd make a whole lot of sense. In addition to, if you lose Sandstrom on waivers, then you're only three goaltenders deep in terms of NHL caliber goalies in terms of contract eligibility. I think Cal Peterson's the only other one. Yes, yep. And he doesn't inspire me a whole lot, to be honest with you. Like, he clearly is a guy who needs to be completely rebuilt at the AHL level. So 
I don't really get all these people who just want to throw Sandstrom down and don't give a damn if he gets claimed or not. Like, I see the value in having him. And just because Urson and Hart are better doesn't mean Sandstrom is garbage. Like, both things can be true. Yeah, for sure. Urson is better, but Sandstrom should not be discarded. And seen a lot of stuff on uh, Twitter over the last few days about this. You know, oh, Urson sucks and who cares? Uh, Sandstrom, rather. Sandstrom sucks. And what happens if they lose him and who cares? And this is like. Well, you still need a third stringer here. I mean, Carter Hart has dealt with an injury in every season of his career. And, you know, Urson is still only, what, a year and a half removed from groin surgery. You know, if one of those guys gets hurt and you're stuck with Peterson, that's not great. If both of them get hurt and you're stuck with Peterson and fucking Nolan Mayer on an emergency contract, you're completely dead in the water, right? So, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what uh, the chances are Sonstrom gets claimed if he gets sent down i mean we've waited weeks now there have been plenty of goaltenders sent down that are better than he is that have far more experience than he does and tampa didn't claim any of them martin jones specifically martin jones chris dreger like there are guys that were around and i mean the uh, the avalanche claimed one of the coyotes random dudes that i've never heard of before but uh (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't know what uh, what the plan is here. You know, is Tampa waiting specifically for Sandstrom? And if that's the case, and they could have just sent Urson down and avoided it anyway, and I'd have no idea what the problem here is. But yeah, it's a uh, interesting little move. And I'm like, I'm glad to an extent they value Sandstrom. But if your end goal is Urson being the starter, you got to start transitioning him, right? If Hart is gone, one way or the other, whether it's Team Canada, whether it's they trade him, whether they don't resign him and trade his rights in the summer, whatever the case may be, if they are intent on moving on from Carter Hart, you know, you got to start getting Urson as many minutes as possible here um, at the NHL level and kind of balancing a three-way act there just so no other team can claim Sandstrom may not be the best way to go about doing that. Either way, it is kind of interesting to see how much roster flexibility they have. Like, I was texting with someone from the team the other day, and he said to me, just like, yeah, it's definitely different that, you know, they're right up against the cap. And look, they didn't even put Ryan Ellis on LTIR. Yeah, he's on regular IR right now. Which allows them to accrue cap space. Like, by the trade deadline, assuming all things remain equal, you're going to have close to $4 million in cap space. And then if you put him on LTR then, then you're going to jump, make that jump to over $10 million. So... It is really been a change of pace that, you know, things could have been differently. There are some moves that could have been made there. You know, we can nitpick. But for the most part, they really have kind of, especially in a flat cap world where you have, I think, 18 teams within a million dollars of the salary cap and eight of those teams are operating in LTIR. And given where the Flyers were, let's say, a year and a half ago, organizationally trying to compete now, it is fairly impressive the work that Danny Breer has been able to do that he has allowed himself some flexibility here. That's amazing what happens when you have some ELCs on your books. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's what it boils down to. You got a little bit of, uh, you know, the cheap contracts go a long way to help, you know, impact the the situation, you know, with... Uh, uh, Sanheim and Couturier and Atkinson coming back and all this money that added to the books, you kind of balance that out by ditching some of that money and uh, rolling with the LCs, and it all works itself out. And as noted, Ellis is on regular IR right now. I mean, I'm sure at some point that'll change, but for the time being, it's, uh, you know, they got at least a little bit of money. Would have been nice if they could ditch more of that in the offseason, but, you know, all things considered, uh, they've they've done the best they can to navigate in a flat salary cap to get themselves to a uh, semi-respectable level. Atkinson is an interesting cat here in all of this, and 
you know, we talked about maybe buying him out and just not even for him as a player. He's worth that money. I think he's a good pro and all that. But just more for like the position he's playing. And I think he's starting alongside Tippett and Frost. And obviously Forster's going to say you'd want him in that role. Like it does really kind of feel like a catch-22 with Atkinson where like you wish he wasn't here because of what he's blocking but you also value the player he is and the veteran leadership that he brings. Like, where are you kind of at with Cam Atkinson? Yeah, I think it's a pretty consistent feeling with a lot of these vets at this point is, you know, you can to an extent appreciate what they bring to the table and, and what they're doing and connect me being the other one there and Sandheim doing whatever it is Travis Sandheim does, you know, but at this point in time, you declared a rebuild under the guise of a rebuild. There's no reason for these players to be here when you've got guys like Tyson Forrester who are NHL ready and will be sitting in the press box most of the time because there's no open fucking forward slots for the guy. So, you know, it's... <laughs> It's a good thing that all your kids are talented, but now you have to address the congestion of the main roster. You know, they kind of opted to not do a whole lot of that during the summer, you know, when it came to guys like Konechny and Lawton and and making those calls. So you're going to have to deal with it soon, whether it be at the trade deadline or the summer, whether it's trade or buyout or whatever the case is, you know, you got to start dealing with some of these veteran guys in the roster so you can fully transition to the youth here. Because that's, I mean, that's why these guys are stalled anyway, because you don't have any open roster spots for any of them. So hopefully they can get over their love affair with some of these veterans, both the good and the bad ones, and uh, fully commit to a rebuild here and maybe have a roster full of youth by season's end. For the top nine, I like, I, for the most part, concur with that. But you see a lot of people complaining about like Hathaway and Delorier in the lineup to a less extent, Ryan Paling, because he is only 24 and does have somewhat of an untapped potential ceiling. But do you not find it kind of weird that people are saying like Hathaway and Delorier are blocking kids on the bottom line? They're not blocking anybody. I, I just <laughs> like, I'm sure that line's going to be a lot of fun. I'm sure that, you know, that is a, competition caliber fourth line, right? Tampa would be uh, take that line on in a heartbeat. Now, why are they here if the Flyers are rebuilding when that could just be, you know, a spot for Allison and Lazinski and, you know, maybe uh, Ali Lexell in that fourth line instead? I I don't know. Like, I, I don't really care that they're here, but... <sighs> I don't know. I, I just don't understand why they went this route this year at this point in time. It was bizarre they got DeLaurier two years ago, and then this summer they kind of doubled down with Hathaway and Paling. It was obviously a John Tortorella-led initiative there to bring them in. And, uh, you know, they're not necessarily blocking anybody, but their presence at this point in time doesn't make a ton of sense either. Yeah, like DeLaurier, I don't mind. I know everyone thought, you know, burnt Chuck Fletcher at the stake for that. But I think now a year removed and Chuck Fletcher not here anymore, you could see that that was more of a John Tortorella thing. And Hathaway, like, he's a good player. Like, if you want a tough guy, he's probably, like, the best tough guy you could go get. But I do kind of concur. Like, I don't get it. Obviously, they're saying the standard. They want an energy, all that. Paling, I don't mind. Like, for me, Lazinski's ship sailed last year. And Paling is still a younger player. Like, he's 24 years old and a former first-round pick at that. I like Hathaway a lot, but it was kind of weird to me, and I've, for the most part, been on board with everything John Tortorella has sold. The Wade Allison stuff, I didn't really get, and I still don't get today. Like, it just seemed like he zeroed in on Wade Allison like some other players and just decided he was going to hate this guy for no reason. I don't really get it. Like, at the end of the day, is Wade Allison being here going to make or break the future? Obviously not. Like, it really is... 
has no like massive effect on where this thing goes. It was just striking to me that Wade Allison was one of the guys that he got zeroed in on here. So, yeah, I mean, you're not going to find a bigger fan of Wade Allison than myself. You know, kind of watching this guy come up in Lehigh and do what he did down there was was awesome. You know, he's a lot of fun, and he's just one of those guys that never really got a fair shake. You know, like, Lazinski is just a quad A guy, right? He's a Vorobiev player. He's going to excel yeah. in Lehigh and not quite Diamond NHL doesn't. caliber, right? Allison is a guy that, like, he never got an opportunity to play his game last year. He was one of the guys, as you alluded to, that Tortorella zeroed in on and just shit on the entire season. And he's, you know, playing seven minutes a night on the fourth line in a defense first role just is not his thing. He's a power forward. He's out there to crash the net with reckless abandon and score the dirtiest goals you've ever seen. You know, that's that's what made him... success in Lehigh and gave him the shot to the NHL in the first place. And he never really got to be that. And, you know, the Flyers put out their, the standard video hype packages and says land of opportunity. And the first player they show is Wade Allison. Oops. Probably uh, (laughs) a bad call on that one. But yeah, I mean, I really like what this guy brings, but it's clear like he's not going to work under torts. And, you know, Tortorella talked about his subtractions at the end of last season and the fact that they, you know, he methodically picked off Hayes, D'Angelo, Sandstrom, Allison, Lazinski, all the guys that he openly hated last year that were trapped in his doghouse are no longer here. Um, you know, so it is what it is, I guess. I'm a phantom season ticket holder, so at least I get to watch Wade Allison every night and, and continue him doing whatever he does. But yeah, it's a it was a not a great move by the organization to not utilize this guy to his potential. And, you know, I think it's going to be a Question that may get raised more than once over the next year or two here with guys like Ronnie Adderd and Zamula and, you know, the way they're crowded up at forward here. Are they going to utilize these guys to their full potentials when it comes time to use them? And uh, hopefully they have a better showing than what they did with um, Allison because, uh, you know, you can start burning through some of these prospects real quick here if you don't give them opportunities because you want to favor the vets or they end up in your doghouse or whatever the case is. So... Definitely an interesting situation worth keeping an eye on. But yeah, I was a big fan of Wade Allison and not thrilled when they sent him down. It's kind of weird. Like, obviously, under Vino, which it's crazy to think, but we're almost two years removed from him. People always said that, you know, he wasn't good with kids. And for the most part, that probably was true. But it's weird how there's some younger players, Wade Allison being one of them, and Farabee as well, although he was hurt last year. So it wasn't, I guess, the a best year to fully evaluate him under Tortorella but there were some kids that seemed to do much better under Vino than under Tortorella and even Morgan Frost you can make that case although Vino always used him on the wing just to get the most offense of him but like I guess two years removed and not to you know go on a diatribe by Alain Vigneault but like compared to Tortorella do you still do you think that maybe some people were unfair with how they viewed Vino using younger players I just think that's such a cliche for, like, every veteran coach that's uh-huh. been around, right? Like, I'm sure no matter who hires what coach has been around for more than five or six years in the NHL, that's probably a complaint, and you can always point to somebody in that role, right? There's always one guy that could have been something that got ignored by a coach. And, you know, and and to bring it back to Tortorella, to be fair to this guy, you know, he turned Noah Cates into a goddamn near-Selkie winner last year. You know, and worked well with uh, Tippett. And, you know, the road was a little bumpy for Frost in York, but, I mean, they were there at the end of the year. So 
maybe this ends up being well. You know, Tortorella was the first one to use the word rebuild. He was the first one to sound the alarm long before the rest of the team did. You know, he, he talks about wanting to play the kids, but it's the presence of the veterans that are going to stop that. You know, the Mark Stalls and Nick Sealers. Like, there's no goddamn good reason for either one of them to be here when Zamula and Adderd and Andre are all better and in need of that time to develop. Sure, you don't want to roll out a roster full of kids, and again, I kind of understand that, but there were better options out there if you want to help uh, help buoy these kids in that role. Matt Dumba signed a one-year contract with Arizona. I would rather sign Matt Dumba and have York play on a top pair with Matt Dumba and have the rest of the defense kind of fall in behind him than have, you know, Adderd and uh, Andre in the AHL because Stahl and Sealer are here. You know, so it's going to be very interesting to see how this roster shakes out because I don't think uh, nearly enough of the prospects made it. And based on this opening night here, only two of the four that did are going to be in the lineup. So I don't know, but... uh Especially now, under the full-on guise of a rebuild, I was to hope this organization steps the fuck up and starts playing some of these kids over the next little while. But they have to get over their own love affair with their vets, which are all Tortorella guys, which is the even bigger problem, you know, to uh, to, to fully kind of see what they got here. And we'll see. We'll see if they can uh, make the changes during the regular season and then when the trade deadline comes around. Do they try and actually move someone like Konechny? Or do they even move Stahl for his seventh-round pick three years from now because he's fucking worthless but uh i don't know but yeah it's going to be a lot of the questions i think throughout the season is how much ice time do the kids actually get given all the fringe nhlers that they have in the way of veterans specifically on the back end what kind of role positively do you think guys like sanheim and rizzo could play for this influx of young defensemen that are presumably coming in over the next number of years (laughs) um I don't know what Sandheim could teach anybody besides how to fall down and be really bad and get paid a lot of money for being really bad. Uh, Ristolainen... You know, the whole reason they brought in Ristolainen was to kind of redevelop him in a lesser role. (laughs) And then here he is right back, your top right-handed defenseman with Cam York because they didn't even bother to address the right-handed defenseman job this summer. So, uh... I don't know. I, I don't honestly know where they fit in at this point. I mean, Sandheim's not going anywhere. Ristolainen's probably not going anywhere, so they just got to kind of deal with them. Um, it just feels like they're kind of the younger veterans on the roster to kind of... I don't even know what. Lead the younger guys. You know, I guess Stahl is more the off-ice leadership and, and Risto and Sandheim are your on-ice leadership, which is fucking baffling to say out loud, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what uh, their given role is at this point, um, kind of moving forward uh, on this group, kind of, because they're stuck between the battle of young and old. Well, here's the thing, is that I remember when they brought up Provrov, Go, Sanheim, and they had crappy-ass vets to play with them. Like the McDonald's, the Schultzes, the Gudises, the who Manning, like all those random-ass guys. Sanheim and Ristolainen aren't the best guys for the job, but at least they're top four defensemen. And like you said, they're not really veterans, but they're like younger veterans. I think they're both 28. Sanheim's 27, and I believe Risto's 28. And Risto, under Tortorella and Brad Shaw, did prove to be like a very steady right-shot defenseman, which is what you wanted beside a Cam York. Sanheim is what he is. Not great. Not awesome. I do think Tortorella kind of unfairly went after him for no reason last year. 
like you just kind of accept got to accept what the guy is at a certain point but if used properly i do think ristolainen and sandheim can be beneficial here because we saw what could happen to young d with a lot of promise case in point pro robin goss's beer when they don't have veterans beside them and then in that one year sample size of niskanen and justin braun before he fell off a cliff we saw what veterans can do for young guys and not even great veterans like how good was matt niskanen if we're being honest with ourselves so obviously not ideal obviously they don't have the experience of braun and niskanen but like i think they have that talent level so i think that if you could utilize ristolainen and sandheim to be calming presences for like a york and an andre and when he gets here a bonk or whoever that may be there is a way to utilize these two guys to your benefit and in the long term really smooth the transition for these younger guys because we've seen what it could be when you're literally just sending them out there with borderline nhlers like imagine if york was always playing with a walker and Andre was always playing with a sealer. Like at least Sandheim and Ristolainen are bona fide top four defensemen. And there can be a good utilization to both those guys, even in a rebuild. So that's the way I'm kind of hoping to look at it. I guess, like, I, I agree with the sentiment of the uh, the idea there, but uh, I don't know. Because you can't just send them out with bums. We saw that with Pro. But they're going to. Four of the guys on the roster are bums. <laughs> no, for that, you're right. But I'm just saying, like, what if by, and again, big what if, but what if by December you have York with Risto, Andre with Sanheim, Zamula with Walker? That's like, that's presumably what you want, or the type of guys you want playing with young up and coming defensemen, no? Uh, I guess. Like, I mean,. Let's say they had... It's like, certainly better than Andrew McDonald and Manning, but, uh, you know, if I had my druthers, it would not be uh, Sandheim and Ristolainen in those roles. Well, of course not. You would rather Niskanen 2.0 or Braun 2.0 from 2019-20, of course. But I'm just saying that it's better than the worst-case scenario. And, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> well, God. here's my point. Here's my point to it, is that I would rather have Ristolainen in here and play a steadying pre presence for Cam York than just get rid of him for nothing and have Mark Stahl play beside Cam York. I guess that's my point. Like, you could make de a decent situation out of an unideal situation. Like, you could utilize these guys to your advantage in some way. Sure. I would but rather have Ristolainen playing with York than Mark Stahl playing with York. But Mark Stahl is going to be in the second pair playing with fucking Zamula or something. I guess that's like my my entire point to this is that you do need veterans with young guys. That that's it. Like I don't like the idea because we saw it in 17, 18, 19 with Provrov and Ghost. We saw how their development got hurt. Look, Provrov never recovered from Niskanen. Now obviously Niskanen had a wealth of experience, won a Stanley Cup. Like a Chris Tanev type would be the ideal guy to go beside a like a, a Cam York or an Emil Andre, I get that. Sanheim and Ristolainen aren't God's gift to studying predecessors, and I get that. But the way Ristolainen played last year beside Cam York wasn't half bad. Now, of course, that was in a second pair situation, and we're going to see how they do right now without Ivan Provorov. 
And I really wonder how they're going to do that because I don't know if people fully acknowledge how big of a void is left there in terms of minutes with pro problem. They have not. Do you think so? Not yet. I don't I think once uh especially on the penalty kill, once we start seeing the stuff in action, they may realize that hey, this guy played a big role, but I don't know if they've uh fully grasped the what the loss of Provorov is doing to that defense right now. And like we we know what Provorov did off the ice and not ideal kind of guy, not someone you'd probably want to go get a beer with, but we always kind of advocated for his presence on the ice, but do you think people are going to get a rude awakening for everyone who hated his guts from an on-ice perspective? I think so. I think, uh, you know, his defense is pretty goddamn sad right now. Uh, and, you know, he was no uh, overly talented stalwart, but, man, he could eat a lot of minutes and be relatively decent in that spot. And I don't think, you know, maybe if you're lucky, York is that guy, and if Andre shows up and can get his shit together and actually play, you may have an extra talented guy there. But, uh you know, the by committee approach versus having one guy that didn't keep those minutes. And again, especially on the, the penalty kill, I think you're going to notice a uh, big absence there in his role. I mean, he was playing one of the heaviest PK minutes in the league over the last five years. So, you know, we'll see. Now you got Sanheim on the right. I feel like in the York-Sanheim pair, York's going to be the calming presence out there, not necessarily Sanheim. But Sanheim yeah. on the right side. Jesus, tap dance at Christ. That didn't work when Brovera was here. <sighs> Yeah, I know, and it's unfortunate they did try and trade Sanheim this uh, this summer. So to bring in Tory Crew, imagine if that trade had gone through. Yeah, at uh, the Kevin Hayes and six first round picks for Tory Krug and seven first round picks, whatever ones, all the wild fucking rumors that came out of that one that never came to be. <laughs> what do you think of that? Like, do you think that would have been a good trade to bring in? Probably. I mean, you're getting rid of one problem and bringing in another, right? Especially as far as contracts are concerned. Um, you know, did it have to revolve around Krug? Did they try and get Marco Scandella or Colton Pareko or something like that? And who went out? I have no idea what ultimately went down there, but uh, it would have been uh, would have been a big deal, that's for sure. Versus, you know. Retaining three point six million on Hayes for the pleasure of uh, sending him to St. Louis for a sixth round pick next year. So, ah, <sighs> oh, the scars of what could have been this summer. It's kind of crazy. Like when you, I believe Charlie O'Connor wrote about it in a story you dropped earlier this week. Like how in twenty nineteen twenty, like how long ago that seems, but how positive the vibe was around this team when you brought in Hayes and Niskanen and Braun, like the butterfly effect of post of post COVID. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of people, uh, granted I was not, uh, Hayes biggest fan when they brought him in. And quite frankly, by the end, I think I was probably his biggest fan compared to most people who had completely turned on the guy. But well, he uh, was just chosen as a whipping boy. Pretty it much. Was, it just you know. didn't make sense. Yeah, but, uh, you know, but he's gone, and they, you know, brought in Ryan Paling to replace him, so. <laughs> Woohoo. And it's even kind of weird that you and I, who have been big, like, critics of Morgan Frost, have now almost defended him in a lot of ways. He's fine. He exists. <laughs> well, I mean. It's now or never it is... for Frost. If you can't succeed with this winger group that he's got going on right now, like, it's never going to happen. 
Well, he's playing with Tippett and Atkinson, I think. Right now, it's Tippett and Atkinson, yeah. But pretty much that entire top nine is interchangeable. So That's a pretty decent line. A good opportunity for Frost. Yeah. Where are you at with John Tortorella? I don't know. I don't know what to fucking think of this guy anymore. I don't want to dislike Tortorella. Like, I really do want to like him. And I, I do think he's done a lot of good things and, and is the biggest... The, the single biggest addition this organization has made since fucking Chris Pronger almost 20 years ago now. Which is fucking crazy to say that out loud. But, you know, I, uh, baffled at some of the decisions. I mean, the Hayes trade and having to bite that bullet and D'Angelo thing and getting rid of Allison and keeping these guys and bringing in Stahl. And it's just like, I just wanted more of a youth movement. I wanted more of a, a real solid step forward in the rebuilding direction. And I think a lot of the blood is on his hands when it comes to that thing. You know, I, I think he's the one pulling the strings on a lot of this right now. And Breer's just along for the ride because he's terrified of the guy. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I hope he does this right. And I hope this balancing of the youth and veterans works out well. Because right now it doesn't look like it's going to. And, you know, we'll see. You know, barring an injury, are we going to see these guys get legitimate chances? Or do they make one bad play, they're in the press box, and then get sit down and we never see them again? You know, it's going to be a balancing act, and they constructed the roster that way. You had 12 forwards, 6 defensemen, and 2 goaltenders composed entirely of people that were not on the AHL roster last year. Brink, Danoye, Forrester, Adderd, Zamula, all those guys were not even included in this roster. You know, the fact that Brink and Forrester are here is a borderline fucking miracle right now. You know, and the only reason they're here is because they gave up on Allison, right? It's just like, I don't know. I really, really hated the roster construction. And if you were going to do this and try and be competitive this year, then bring in a goddamn guy from the outside or two. Bring in, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko last summer, Matt Thumba, or somebody that had some veteran presence that actually had some value at the deadline. You're not going to get shit for Mark Stahl. I don't care what anybody says. This guy's not going to be worth anything at the deadline. You know, if that was your plan to bring in short-term veterans to teach the guys, that's fine. If you brought in Tarasenko at one year at five mil, and he was here to teach Farabee and Tippett and uh, throw in Forster in that mix as well, but Brink didn't make the NHL roster because of it. Fine. At least you have a reason for that happening, right? If you brought in Matt Dumba and Ronnie Adder didn't make the NHL because of it, he didn't make the NHL anyway, by the way, but York had an actual partner to play with that matched it. Like, fine. You know, like there are there were gives and takes here for that kind of stuff. The fact that Atkinson came back at 34 years old and Nick uh, Mark Stahl is here at 36 years old. And, like, I get it. You need veterans in your lineup. They play some kind of role. They're here to translate for John Tortorella. I understand that. But like, fuck wa- me. Walker kind of falls into that. Like, Walker's another one. Like, <sighs> well, Walker, I think, could probably They get kept like Nick just- Sealer for some reason. Like, there's just so many of these fucking random people here. When you're youth that aren't actually talented this time around. Like, Forrester and Brink should be in your lineup right now. Andre and Zamula should be in your lineup right now. here should be here. Maybe Danoye. You have these guys that all these people need ice time at the exact same time, and you constructed a roster to make sure that nobody got any of it. It frustrates the shit out of me when you see this, and when guys, like, and the only reason all four of them are here right now is because Risto's on IR. Like, it's just... 
man, I, I just wish that this was done in a much smoother transition. Uh, somebody put it on Twitter the day, I can't remember how they phrased it, but they wish that the vets were brought in to push the youth and not the youth to have to overcome the vets. You know, yeah, and that's yeah. kind of the situation they're stuck in right now. And like, I don't know, like I said, I hope this works out as the season comes on here, but man, does this feel like fucking Dave Haxtell all over again with a lot of this sense of like, we're going to play our uh, Yori Laterra's over Oscar Lindblom's and you just got to deal with it, you know? Yeah, I see that. I guess, <sighs> yeah, I, I get that point for sure. I guess the only thing here is that he did play a lot of the young guys last year. And as over, you brought it up, like by the end of the year, York was playing a prone role. Morgan Frost was. So they have at least built up some benefit of the doubt. Remember final air, final days of Chuck Fletcher. He had no benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I think Tortorella and Briere have at least built up some benefit of the doubt, but it is on thin ice. I agree with that. Yeah, so I mean, they did a good job with Cates and Frost and York, and like they 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 did, but it's not about just coddling the same three guys. Now you have to bring in another yeah. half dozen guys no, and teach true. them how to play in the NHL. And next year you're gonna have another half dozen guys that need to come up and make it. You know, you really it's just like if they went about it this way, that's fine. But then you know, at the trade deadline and at next summer, they can't get cold feet with these moves. They can't go, well, we don't want to trade connecting. We don't want to trade Lawton. We don't want to trade whatever. We want to re-sign Mark. So you can't fucking do that. You know, you got to some point in time here, put one foot in front of the other and start making these transitions here. And they didn't do it last season and it doesn't make a lot of sense now in execution. And, you know, they better, it's just time to make a change. You know, calling it a rebuild is great, but that means you actually have to play your kids. If you were intent on being competitive this year, well, then that's fucking great, but then you better be ready to add next summer. And go out and actually add players. Go hunt down to Steven Stamkos. If you're not going to give your kids a chance, and they're sitting by the Wade side so Mark Stahl can play every night. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just... I, I hope this works out for the best, but I can absolutely see it panning out here where this is going to be a frustrating fucking season when it comes to these guys playing the kids. I guess it could go either way. So I, I, I I'm kind of with you. Like for me, they have the benefit of the doubt until the holiday time, because that's kind of like when it shifted last year. But at least there are some positives to draw off of, and we're just gonna have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean it's all we can do, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I've <laughs> never, I've never been less hyped for a season than I am right now. Never. Yeah, I could, I could concur with that. Just like, let's just get it over with. Let's just fast forward to the trade deadline and see what you got. And let's fast forward to next summer and see what happens and try again next year already. Which is a shitty feeling to, to, to be in that role. But at the end at of the day, have a direction. you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to be interested in in the, uh, the interim here. Yeah, makes sense. Whew. Well, game one tomorrow. Great. <laughs> <laughs> got Columbus tomorrow. Got Ottawa on Saturday, and I believe the home opener is next Tuesday against Vancouver. So, we'll see. I guess they got Edmonton then uh, next Thursday as well. So, four games in the next week. Phantoms open this season on a Saturday and Sunday at home, which is going to be a very fun team, as I've often said, that, you know, the Flyers' loss is the Phantoms' gain, and that roster looks pretty fucking good this year. You know, a one-two punch of Lazinski and Danoye down the middle, and that defense, which are all uh, very solid as well. Allison's down there now. Probably Andre and or Brink will be joining them soon enough, so 
Hey! You know, maybe Sonstrom as well, actually. They could really use a fucking goaltender right now, because I assume Cal Peterson's the guy. <laughs> but, well, maybe it'll be your lucky day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Anything else you want to uh, touch upon here? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, well, we got, uh... Oh, what's going on? I think Katie's going to be back. We're going to record tonight, then I'll probably like up tomorrow. I think Frequent Flyers should return its entirety with Mike and Manny. Um... Probably this weekend. Maybe next week. We'll see. Haven't really figured that one out yet. We're in the process of talking about it as a show went on the air. So we shall see everyone. Plenty should the website, brotherlypuck.com, at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, and Brotherly underscore pod. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? At Demarco 25 All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night.